it's you, you're a Scrollies listener. Maybe you're in the lunch break room. Maybe, just maybe you're on a run. But either way, you're listening to Scrollies, and that makes you cool. What's up? I'm Team Ratnado of the Scrollies podcast, and I was trying to do a thing there, like maybe like a Nike's ad or something, but we'll see how it comes together. Our old intro music is back, so that's pretty exciting. I kind of missed the other stuff, but uh, hey, you, you know who it is. It's Team Ratnado, and if this is your first one, it's going to be real weird. Um, go listen to the first one, you know, it, it's good. I am here with co-host from the very beginning, uh, the, the man stuck in time. Who knows when he'll be able to come back, much like Matthew McConaughey did in that movie. My co-host... It's Hard Snake doing a Nike's ad. Oh, just do it. Wait, th- this label says Scrolly's Podcast Recording, Composer Episode 3 of 5? <laughs> this Whoa. is Nike's. I don't know if I know five composers, Hard Snake. Sorry, I'm going to have to sneak around out of here. Oh, it seems he, like I'm in the wrong recording booth. He just pulled out a cardboard box and he left. I don't even know if there was somebody actually here. Let me try this again. I'm here with my co-host. Hey, Rat. Sorry I'm late. I My car got a flat. I, wait, why is there a cardboard box propping open the door? Here, shut that. It's going to let all the cold air out. Yeah. Ugh. Okay, well, sorry. I'm Squat Cobbler. I'm, I'm here for Scrollies. I, you know, you know I, I guess I kept you waiting, huh? Uh, You know what, Squat? Uh, cardboard boxes haven't slowed you down a bit. It's fine. You're right. Cardboard boxes <laughs> haven't. Getting caught has. <laughs> Actually, I thought you right now you were Squat Gobbler. Uh, that's right. Sorry. Squat Gobbler here. Happy <laughs> November uh, to the majority of you listening, which are Americans. But to those of you overseas, <laughs> happy just regular 11th month of the year. Yeah. Enjoy. It's great. Um, th- th- it's 11. 11. Yeah. Turkeys taste pretty good. well i I disagree i here's the thing and i'm sure some of you know this every thanksgiving instead of turkey your boy rat gets steaks i get steaks you know what i i can't argue that a fine cooked steak uh i take any day over a turkey sandwich white meat dark meat doesn't matter (laughs) give me that steak but hey thanksgiving traditions uh actually maybe an unpopular take here i'm just gonna say it I'm known for my hot takes. I don't care the repercussions that come our way. Scrollies may end after this, maybe uh, boarded up. The pitchforks may be outside, but uh, I think the traditional Thanksgiving uh, Eatons are a little overrated. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, my yeah, goodness. The, the, the cranberry, the, 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 the green bean casseroles. Uh, the, the pumpkin pie. Okay, well, I do like pumpkin pie. I can't. I can't deny it. Pumpkin pie. Uh, fun fact. Maybe uh, responsible for my birth. But that's a whole nother story for a different time. That, that's the majority of the Thanksgiving uh, staples that you find on the table around the country. Uh, I could take or leave. But uh, you know, it is what it is. You literally pick the most mid things to be upset at. To, 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 that's not a hot take. It's a, it's. What? It's a lukewarm take? That's a lukewarm take at best. <laughs> you guys, hey you guys, I'm here to say uh, green beans, casseroles, they're just okay. And cranberries, take them or leave them. And, uh, and here's another thing, mashed potatoes, they're all right. <laughs> I'm losing. I'm losing my edge. I'm losing my uh, my my vitriol. I gotta. I, I guess I have to rediscover what 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 sets me apart from the status quo and and come back to you with a different hot take. Oh, oh my goodness. All that being said, how's it going? <laughs> 
Oh, Lord. You know what? That's okay. You know, people want to know. They want to know what's going on with Squat Gobbler. The, 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 the traditional Squat Gobbler costume has come out. Chunky Cat has made a profile picture, and we are in celebration. What better time to give thanks for some sounds for our ears, some uh, music for your soul, as Chunky Cat might put it. And we're here talking about composers, man. Uh, Squat. Again. You, you like music, right? I, I, I do. I, you know, I, I did not think that this would get us to part three. I didn't even think it would get us past part one. I wanted to do all five of each of ours in one oh. shot. And Rat said, no, no, we're going to stretch out this content. We can make it last. And sure enough, he was right. I don't I don't know how long that episode would have been if we tried. <laughs> he straight talked for 30 minutes about uh, Donkey Kong music. <laughs> yeah, about David Wise. So, uh, and, and hey, maybe, <laughs> not to spoil anything, but maybe that'll happen again uh, sometime soon. Oh, interesting. But listener, uh, different composers today. We're, we're moving on down our list to our number three of five. Or I guess, you know, in, uh, top five in no particular order. So yeah. I guess it's good to go anywhere. But uh, yeah, we're going to be revealing those in a second. <laughs> yeah, we're going to tell you at some point. The thing is... We're just trying to build up to something huge. Uh, before that, as Squad says, let us take it down. We're going to take it down to us talking about what we're playing at the moment. Squad Gobbler, what you playing? I have been playing uh, a game that I think we talked about on Scrollies before, but you brought it up last time. Mm. Uh, or not last time, but in the past. Tetris Effect. I am yeah. uh, I'm resuming it. It's a vibe. It's a it's a good time. It's got a uh, chill beats and uh, blood pumping intensity and speed when the blocks start falling and they don't stop falling. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I don't, I don't know if it's like the best version of Tetris or not, but I I, I think it's probably my favorite version to play now. Uh, I have it on Switch, and unfortunately, uh, uh, pretty pretty peeved at Epic for this, but they did not introduce cloud saving, or at least my cloud mm. saves were not syncing. Uh, until pretty recently, so when I reset my computer, I apparently lost all of those. Well, actually, no, I didn't lose all of them. I had them saved. I had them backed up, but now when I try and put them back in the folder, it uh, it, it gets all buggy on me and it doesn't it doesn't want to take them, so it resets the game anyway. So I've lost my my progress on Tetris Effect Epic PC, but that's okay because I also had it on Switch, which is what I've been playing on, and the Switch uh, version has maintained my cloud saves, so I am. Continuing along with that, I'm trying to unlock the final mode, Ratnado. Not the one mm-hmm. that I've continued to ask you if you have unlocked with your keyboard, which I don't think you have yet. But well, I just haven't answered. I haven't told you if I did or not. That's all. Yeah, he, he's he, he's left me on red. He's ghosted me every time <laughs> I bring it up. And I feel like this is going to be a one-sided podcast now because I feel like he's not going to talk to me for the rest of this recording. But I'm trying to unlock the last mode in it, which is Tetris. 1989, aka the Game Boy theme with the classic Tetris music that you all know and love so much. Uh, you gotta reach level 50 in Tetris Effect for that. So I'm grinding, which I normally hate, but you know, it, I just I'm just playing Tetris, which is what I would be doing with the game anyway. So it's not really a big deal to gain XP by doing that. <laughs> there you go. I, I think I'm at level 40 now, so I got a little bit more to go. I think if I just run through uh, all of normal or hard mode one more time, I could probably get most of the way there. So yeah good time enjoying tetris effect how about yourself rat native oh lord um you know i just picked up uh a game to play for shut up sibylla scribbles 08 and uh uh-huh. it's called bug fables yeah w- it- would this happen to be part of the cute vember 3 lineup yeah i mean it is there- there's a couple other games i've picked up and i've been playing but but i got i got to shout out bug fables because it's been really fun 
Uh, I've played it a couple times, and it's it's really good. It's very Super Mario esque, uh, very cute. It does fit. Good good, good call, Scribs. We're, we're giving you two thumbs up. Excellent, excellent choice to uh, initiate cute Vember with. Ratnado, yeah. I, I was promised a Wind Waker finale, so I look forward to that happening later in the month. Yeah, yeah, uh, we should. I might just be able to get to those two games, and we're probably getting dread in as well by just saying that Samus is cute. Yeah, she's cute. Yeah, yeah cute, cute and cuddly, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, yeah, it's it's a good time. We're we're gonna keep at it. We're gonna finish it. You know, the thing about Bug Fables is it has great music. <gasps> wow, what a segue! The thing about Tetris, it has great music. Oh my gosh! If you guys didn't know, music just doesn't you you don't just go to your game engine and say create music that fits this mood oh no 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 it takes a person it takes a composer squad cover indeed it often takes a team but you know sometimes it just takes a one or or a or visionary or uh an originator or a trendsetter whatever you want to call it yes a composer uh someone who a composer oversees the musical implementation into a game and often writes much of the score and uh, many of the tunes that we come to know and love. Someone with a vision, and I secretly think, and openly, I guess it's not a secret anymore, I think Squat and I might have the same person this time. As a hunch, I'm not saying for sure that I do know that, but I have a feeling it's po- it's possible from what I know about Squat Cobbler. But the closer we get, the less I think so. The listeners know. The listeners know, Ratnado, what <laughs> I'm going to say. The, the composer, let's just say the individual that I'm about to name. He uh, had a vast library of work, several uh, notable titles that you most likely have heard of. But for myself, I think I was introduced to his work initially from his time contributing to Monkey. Oh, interesting. Okay. His theming, uh, his his compositions, his inclusions to that series. <laughs> okay, maybe I don't know. <laughs> I am undoubtedly, undeniably, for sure, talking about kenji yamamoto whoa okay yeah all right let's do it let's go who as we all know composed for donkey Kong country returns and as you probably know him better for the metroid music guy ah yeah i knew it okay okay yeah yeah (laughs) we don't have the same person okay all right. That's good. That's good. That'd be a, that'd be a pretty uh, uh, unanimous shared discussion right now. We we got to go rapid fire, bang bang, back and forth. Yeah. So I'm gonna be talking about this guy. He's uh he he's got a style. He's introduced a lot of themes, and you know you may have thought I was leading in a, you in another direction, and that may have been <laughs> intentional. But I, I think in terms of uh, overall work, I, I know uh, more of the library Kenji Yamamoto has contributed to his uh his main series metroid and a few of his other titles as well that i think that he's uh more more so my number three than than anyone else who may still appear down the road but yeah. we're gonna be talking about him today yeah. now at nato uh it seems as though we did not have the same composer so please share who yours is because i have no idea who this may be okay there's a couple things i know about squat cobbler and he's not as much of a weeb as i am so uh I, it, we, at first, I was like, we might have the same one. And I was like, oh, wait, no. So I changed my mind kind of near there. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense that he's going with, with Metroid. Because those are his things. Uh, him, him and Jam and Sammy Miller. They're just, they're, they're best of buds. Or Swat Cobbler is like the, the friend who's like obsessed. And yeah, anyways, on to my composer. <laughs> uh, I, I, I had, I, might, I may have hinted at something, but I've 
redone some stuff just because I don't want you guys to think that I'm just a weeb, okay? That I just like all... Are you telling me we're leaving Japan, Ratnado? <laughs> we're, we're leaving Japan. Wow, that, that's almost as unbelievable as me leaving Nintendo. Uh, <laughs> which, hey, may or may not happen throughout the rest of this list. So far, I haven't, but we'll see. Yeah, just just for one month, though. Don't worry, we'll be back next month. <laughs> Ratnado, by all means, share who you have in mind. Yeah, so the person that I picked um, has a pretty extensive library. I'm not as familiar with all of it, but um, I think what he's done is is he has a pretty wide amount of work especially in 2000 i think what most people are going to know him from is a little game called skyrim do you know who i'm talking about i i think i do know who you're talking about i'm talking about jeremy sewell that's right fusro da fusro da yeah so um i don't know squad do you want to go first you want i think you should go first and we'll jump back to jeremy in a minute. sure i would i would love to uh you know i i can't say that I know his work beyond Skyrim, so I'm looking forward to hearing more of what he has composed. Um, but Kenji Yamamoto, he has done a few titles besides Metroid, like I mentioned before, DKC Returns, which uh, <laughs> we'll get into it, but maybe the worst soundtrack of the entire Donkey Kong Country series, uh, and, and we'll get into why that may be. Ooh. But he's also done Excite Truck, which uh, is a spinoff of Excite Bike, I guess, for the for the Wii. I remember it was uh, it was one of the launch titles, or at least it came out really early, because I remember those first Wii commercials having Right, right. Um, haven't played that, so so can't really speak too much to that music. He did uh, the Famicom Detective Club series, which was a big uh, uh, mystery uh, series of games released on the Japanese NES. And then uh, he also did Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, um, the localized version of uh, Punch-Out for the NES. Mm. But it wasn't until Super Metroid, when I first played that, absolutely a stellar soundtrack featuring such tracks as Red Brinstar... Green Brinstar or Upper Brinstar, Green Overgrowth. I think my my favorite was Periwinkle Brinstar. Periwinkle Brinstar, yeah, all all, all the color Brinstars. Also, Lower Norfair, uh, Ridley's theme originated there. I mean, just all, all the tracks that you know and love from Super Smash Brothers Brawl, obviously. Yeah, uh, yeah. that's where we all that's where we all know everything Metroid from. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, he started with that, and then uh, he moved on to a few other games. He did uh, sound support work on Mario Kart Super Circuit, and then he returned to the Metroid series with Metroid Fusion. But I think he really was introduced to a lot of people through his work on the Metroid Prime series. Yeah. Which had a very different uh, style and feel than the 2D uh, side-scrolling Metroids of old. They were very uh, almost mechanical. Uh, they, they just had a grit to them. They were kind of a, a progressive electronic uh, style in a sense. And for one, he was taking a lot of inspiration from a certain album uh, that we probably won't have any tracks from here, but we'll, we'll link it down below. Um, and you can really hear the Metroid Prime style reflected in that. It's just a very uh, kind of gritty, like mechanical feel in that way. Yeah. But it also retained kind of that alien atmosphere of the original of the original Metroid series um, on the NES and Metroid 2, uh, which he didn't compose for originally, but did eventually circle back around to in remakes. Yeah, right. And, you know, a lot of tracks from Metroid Prime, that first one, are actually remixed tracks from older Metroid games. Uh, Magmore Caverns is most obviously recognized as being a Lower Norfair remix, but also Talon Overworld when you first land in your in your spaceship, uh, that's actually a very heavily remixed version of the original Brinstar track from the NES Metroid, the, the heroic one where you first arrive in that initial area. Yeah. 
and we can sort of hear that if we if we play them side by side but it also feels very unique in its own way it feels uh, very suited to this new 3d world that you've entered and it's a first person shooter on the gamecube and you just feel like you're there you feel like you're really just looking through samus's perspective and, and exploring the sailing world in this whole new way than you had before yeah yeah I, I think it's been a while since i've played metroid prime and i can't remember anything specific i can't remember specific tracks but the overall feel of it i do remember and yeah it is it's a change from the 2d to the 3d you, you really do get a feeling for it i remember playing back when gb when uh I remember when the GameCube came out, playing a demo and being like, whoa, this is really impressive. Just like, I think the music felt like it had this new, yeah, like more full to kind of go with this like bigger world that you're now in. Yeah, 100%. And it wasn't quite orchestral. I don't think the GameCube could really handle that uh, in full. But it really just brought about the, the extra tracks and the extra layers that that new technology was, was providing off optical disc and... Like you said, a fuller sound, a, mo- a more alien sound, uh, and it has such a distinct feel and style in, its, in and of itself that it's carried over into the later games in the Prime series. Prime 2 uh, especially has has more of those remixes. Uh, you hear Lower Brinstar in Torvus Bog Submerged, which is arguably my favorite version of that track, I yeah. think. Uh, he remixed his own track in that style. And he also introduced a ton of new tracks like uh, Torvus Bog, Cliffside Ruins, and the Luminoff theme. And all of that really just goes to show that not only was Metroid relying on remixes, like I think eh, arguably is the case today, but it really was able to bring a lot of fresh new feel to these environments that weren't really being touched on yet in these series. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So kind of a the highest of heights down to the lowest lows of DK? We'll, we'll talk about it. I wouldn't say lowest lows. I would say... Uh, uh, we'll, we'll talk about it in a second. We'll get there. <laughs> he went off to do Excite Truck uh, after Prime 2, and then he returned to the Prime series for Prime 3, which I think, you know, it has some it has some good tracks. Uh, the, the Chozo Homeworld Elysia, I think that's a that's a pretty pretty cool ethereal track because it takes place in the sky. It's, it's the type of song you could really hear going along with... Yeah, the, the, sadly, no Chozos were present in that game, and only their ruins were were uh, on display. So we didn't we didn't quite have the the full experience of their language, which we wouldn't get until Dread. And unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, they had to change the Chozo language because Croc called it too early. Yeah. Spot on with Bacaz. But, but uh, Squat Cobbler, that song, what is the name of it? Yes, the Elysia uh, track would be what plays in that planet. Yeah, so after this, if you, if you want to make a dream come true for Pakai and Lotor, shout out, uh, go play Elysia. Go find it, YouTube, whatever. Play it out loud and just walk around and just uh, and, you know, you'll relive what it was like to be there with the Chozo at the time. Speak in the, the dead language of the Chozo. Uh, possibly spoilers? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I guess that depends. That depends on, on what, you're, what you're considering uh, to be a living culture. Shino. Ah, ah, yeah, I guess it's still new enough. <laughs> there you go. Anyway, he talked about uh, how on the Wii uh, with Metroid Prime 3, there was just a lot more you could do with the musical tracks. There was a many, way more tracks you could provide in certain environments. I think up to 10 
her room uh, for that game, Metroid Prime 3, which uh, really wasn't the case in games before that. I don't think they went full orchestrated with that. I think they were still doing the MIDI style, but it was a lot more musically complex. They they had different versions of the song based on uh, the status of Samus, because there is a level of corruption to her character in Metroid Prime 3, as is in the title. <laughs> and um, I remember there's a notable boss fight, because uh, Metroid Prime 3, I mean, it has... It has some problems. Uh, it's not the best of the series. I don't think it's anyone's favorite. Well, it's probably someone's favorite, but I don't think it reaches a lot of those heights the first two did. Yeah. However, something it did really well was it introduced actual like NPC characters who were there in the game. Samus wasn't just alone. Yeah. And, I mean, some of them were kind of forgettable. Like, all the Federation people uh, didn't really pay them much mind. But there were other bounty hunters in that game. And they start out at the beginning helping Samus out. They're her friends. They fought alongside her. They've probably competed with her because uh, they're all bounty hunters. I mean, they're all kind of looking out for themselves. And I'm sure they've had run-ins with each other. I'm sure they've worked together before. It's a co-worker. Yeah, yeah. It's a, you know, you, you deal with them as you must. But, but Ratnado, uh, they, they get corrupted. They get completely taken over by the Phazon and they become evil. And you could say they're not really in control of their actions, but they still have their memories. So they remember Samus, they know who she is, and they can mock her, and they can, you know, play off that past history. Uh, one character, Rundus, it, it seems like he and Samus were a lot more friendly than, than maybe some of the other ones. And his boss fight song was a really sad rendition of the Metroid Prime theme. It felt like it was, uh, you know, you're fighting an old friend, it felt like Samus didn't want to do it, and that was conveyed through the music. Uh, I think that's probably my favorite track from that game specifically just because of the emotion behind it and because of the, the context of what it plays. Yeah. But I think overall, my favorite uh, full soundtrack of the Metroid Prime series is probably Metroid Prime 1 followed shortly behind uh, by Metroid Prime 2. Wow. It's just the Metroid Primes that he, he, he did. He did all three Metroid Primes, yeah. And he did Metroid, uh, Super Metroid. You're only ranking the Metroid Primes there. You're not, because I would imagine Super Metroid is your favorite one of his. I, I know that, uh, shout out, Vivian said it's the best, it's the perfect game. It's a near perfect game. I don't think Vivian nor myself, uh, based on what I <laughs> communicated with her, I don't want to speak for her, but I, I, th I think that's what we, the agreement we reached in your chat. <laughs> I don't think me or Vivian believe in a perfect game. However, Super Metroid is near perfect. Maybe it is near perfect, I guess. There are two flaws. There are two flaws, one of which is the fake ball that lies to you. That's bad game design. That's because of the fireflies in that room, so that's the bad game design. They shouldn't have had fireflies <laughs> in that room. Otherwise, you can see it with the X-ray scope. The other, the other uh, I say, far far more fatal flaw, uh, even though it's not essential, you don't have to do it, so I guess as so long as you know about it, it's not a flaw, but the, the final save room, win and no return, that's a... It goes against the very notion of a Metroid being in my, my heavy Anyway, anyway, I could go on and on about Super Metroid. But, yes, I'm ranking the Metroid Primes uh, in order because I think they just have... For one, he did that entire series. He didn't really trade off with any other composers like he did for the 2D Metroid series, uh, those early ones. And they were all him, and they all have their own distinct feel and tone. And it sounds like he's coming back from Metroid Prime 4 as well. So, hey, I guess that's, uh, that goes to show. Don't uh, lose what works and keeps your, keeps your game alive. <laughs> Anyway, after that, Ratnado, he moves on, uh, and I guess you could say he didn't move on, because he stuck with Retro for DKC Returns. <laughs> he, he moves on to another series, we'll say, but he, he stuck with he stuck with his uh, his, his group that he worked with. Um, he, he composed that, and not my favorite, uh, not my favorite version of the DKC 
soundtrack because, for one, it's a lot of uh, covers. He covers a lot of David Wise's stuff, and I just I think that maybe he just wasn't the right pick to do that style of music, or maybe it was because he was being held to uh, rearranging David Wise's track and he couldn't really go and do his own thing because the Rocket Barrel theme that was all him, and I I think that's a great addition to the DK uh, music library, but for the most part, just about every other song in that game is a rearrangement of songs from DKC. I think the DKC series really uh, rides or dies on the tone and the theming that David Wise established, and I think that when he came back for Tropical Freeze, uh, Kenji Yamamoto actually assisted him uh, with some tracks. He he returned in that support uh, way. And David White himself spoke on this. He said that uh, the Savannah track in Tropical Freeze, uh, Kenji Yamamoto contributed in the form of the choir that plays. And that's a really, really fun track. That's a really, really fun level to play because of the music. It changes a lot as you go throughout the stage. Uh, you have different emphases in the music. And um, the uh, choir becomes forefront at the end. And that was all Kenji Yamamoto. David Wise gave him full credit for, for contributing that. Because hmm, he was just gonna, he was just gonna use some choir samples, but Kenji Yamamoto, like he basically just gathered his his people over at Nintendo Japan, and you know he brought that to life. So at this point, at this point, he's kind of a sound supervisor more than a composer. He did come back to do uh, Metroid: Samus Returns and Metroid Dread, and I think there was something missing uh, for me in both of those. I mean, for one, they feature some remixes, and I think those are lo- by and large their best tracks. Mm-hmm. But the melodies, the the sense of adventure, a lot of it's been replaced by atmospheric ambience, and that's fine. That's fine. I think it's serviceable, but it just it's not really earworm. It's kind of... Uh, I-, I couldn't really listen to it outside the context of the game. Sure. Those new soundtracks, and I feel like in a large part, that's because he's not taking on the full responsibility like he had been before. But he is still overseeing it, so it doesn't feel like it's outside the scope of the series. It just doesn't really have the same hook as the older ones do. So hopefully, when he comes back and does Metroid Prime 4, fingers crossed, uh, <laughs> he'll he'll take the reins again. He'll be doing that in full. But yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of where we're at now. I, I really like his music. I find myself listening to uh, especially Super Metroid and Metroid Prime remixes a ton. And, and covers a ton. I think that he really brought a lot of character to that subseries, and I don't think that it really would be quite the same without him. So there you go. Well, this is a message to the grandchildren of Zach J eighty nine in the year twenty fifty seven. Is it out yet? You know, I think it's more likely that Metroid six comes out, <laughs> having been a nineteen year gap between Metroid four and five. I think Metroid six will come out before Metroid Prime four does. <laughs> as much as I hate to say it, it has has not been announced. But uh, that's just that's just my gut feeling. I think if I tell myself that, it gives me a little bit of hope. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe he'll maybe his AI consciousness will will compose the soundtrack for Metroid Prime four. I think that's that's a that's a good possibility. Oh boy. Alright. Pratnado. Uh Fusro Da. Hey everyone, go listen to Jeremy Sully's really good around practice. Okay, see ya! And that's our time. <laughs> Once again, I forgot that uh Squat was talking about monkey, so here we are again. <laughs> monkey apart, monkey and and uh and shooty blasting. 
I should have I should have known. I was like, yeah, oh, man, every time you go. every time you let me go first on these things, I don't know why you keep making the same mistake over and over. But it, here we are. Here we uh, are. Extended I, I, scrollies. No one's complaining. <laughs> I just don't know if I have as much to say as you. I, I, you got. You guys are getting it good this month. That's all. I'm, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> this is this is gonna be a good. I mean, we'll have to discuss it a little bit. Uh, Jeremy Sewell. Um, I mean, he's kind of a name. I think he even does like movies now and stuff like that. It's a name you recognize when I said it. Absolutely. So y- yeah. you've heard of Jeremy Sewell before. Mostly from Skyrim, but yeah, I, I, I know his music. Yeah, 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 100%. I mean, a lot of stuff that you might have heard about, and, and it really is like a step in Western games. And I think when I was younger, maybe around the 2000s, uh, I don't think he was quite as big of a name. And he definitely just pretty much sucked to Western games. And I think at the time I was... 50 50 much more now these days i'm much more 80 20 percent where 80 percent of the games i'm playing are probably either you know the japanese property or straight up sure. you know goes to japan first jeremy sewell is one of the first times outside of nobuo uematsu that i was like oh i know a composer's name and a lot of people might think that it's because of skyrim i know that he was like pretty big for that and as much as i like skyrim i don't think there's i don't think it was so iconic that I, I, I'm, he's not in here just based on Skyrim alone. I want to make that very clear. I wouldn't fault you for having it. I think Skyrim's pretty iconic that it wouldn't be undeserved. Yeah, <laughs> I, it's good. I do have to ask, did he uh, contribute to the composition of the other Elder Scroll games before? Well, actually, yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Okay. Yeah, yeah, 100% okay. he did. Um, Morrowind, Oblivion, you know, and I, I, I don't think I really played much Morrowind. I'd play a little bit of Oblivion sometime when i was in high school and that was pretty good and then you know skyrim came out it was just absolutely massive i'm not saying it's bad either but i think most people are aware that skyrim just went so super critical that and i think it's pretty good you know i'm not trying to downplay but i'm also not saying you know i think his skyrim stuff is very stock european fantasy and that's great it's good for what it is uh far horizons you know all those kind of like the, the songs you hear in skyrim you know it's playing in the background listen to it let's just squat for like five seconds let's just listen to far horizons just that horn here we go <sighs> all right i'm leaning back and uh, uh let me guess someone stole your sweet troll you make a fine rug cat Let me guess, Squat, you don't get to the Cloud District very often. You know, I like to stick to the middle of the Empire. I, uh, you know, like to make my way around the plains. Don't don't, don't venture into the mountains too much unless I'm uh, visiting the Greybeards around here. Yeah, fair, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, and I think, yeah, that, like I said, that game was just so huge. Um, Far Horizons, classic, so good, so big. All the music on there, iconic. You listen to it and you immediately know what it is. Uh, my first encounter, the first time I remember reading his name, okay, this is back in, it's got to be like 1999 or 2000. We had a computer and we had internet. Wow. And I think it would have been sometime when I was in like eighth grade. So I'm like 11, 12, something, whatever age you are in, in eighth grade. And I remember being on the computer and I was really into Star Wars and coming out in GameCube that that year was Star Wars Bounty Hunter. Ooh. Yeah. And, yeah. 
I remember downloading because they back then you could download the songs on their website and it took forever because it was on dial-up. Oh my gosh, dude. It was so good. It just invoked Star Wars so well in a way that I hadn't heard since, like, uh, say, Shadows of the Empire. I think a lot of Star Wars stuff is either, hey, this is old trilogy music that we're repurposing for the 50th time. John Williams' uh, greatest hits, let's go again. I mean, every every John Williams track is going to hit it out of the park as a banger, but... Yeah, exactly, and that's not a bad thing, like you're saying. It's not bad, but this was the first time and I was like, yeah. That's specific to this game, and it invoked such moodiness... And that was perfect for Bounty Hunter. It was dark. It was, it was like I say, it was dark. It was moody. It was so, like, yeah. It just had that feeling of, of Bounty Hunter. And I remember I downloaded it and I listened to it nonstop because I was just like, oh, this is so good. I have to get this game. Jingle Fett, he's so cool. He's got good armor. And you're a Bounty Hunter and you're going to go do stuff. And that Christmas, Squawk Cobbler, we got a GameCube. And I got Bounty Hunter. Let's go. <laughs> so that was a big get. I remember I played it. I played it on Christmas Day. It, it was like the first time we didn't go to see family immediately, like extended family. So it was kind of a big deal. Not that I don't like to see my family, but it was just like this one time the family didn't get together on Christmas. And it was like my parents were like, yeah, go hang out. Go play. We're just going to sit here and talk. And I'm like, All right. Peace. I think every kid is itching to open their presents and actually <laughs> use them uh, on Christmas afternoon uh, throughout the day and not just you know socialize and uh, okay yeah, well, look at the time when, uh, when am I getting to get home and try out my new toys and games and I will go see the family I will I will hug everybody but just give me like three hours first please <laughs> <laughs> a, little, a little taste I just need a little taste and that'll be sufficient for half a day <laughs> yeah exactly and uh, he also did Knights of the Old Republic the first one which is iconic yeah yeah, for sure. And that had all uh, original music, right? That didn't mm-hmm. use any of the original trilogy. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he forged a new style, and you listen to it, and it does... It is Star Wars, but it is its own unique thing. It has... You can so much tell... The thing about Jeremy Sewell is he really likes horns. He loves horns. And so you go into Knights of the Republic, and what, what was cool about it, it was like, we're going back 4,000 years before the Star Wars you know. There are still lightsabers... There's still Jedi. There's still Sith. In fact, there's even more of them. And check out all this crazy stuff. And, uh, man, good music. Incredible. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard those score. Have you ever heard either of those soundtracks at all? No, I've actually I've never played any of the uh, KOTOR uh, games myself. But I do own them. I, I got them uh, on a summer sale this year on Steam. So hopefully soon. That being said, I know it really... Uh, it really established its own style unique from the the movies and the the world introduced in the prequels and the original trilogies and and still felt very star wars in in setting and in feel and a lot of people look to that era of the old republic that those games established and once more there they want they want to go back there they don't want to just stay where everything has been so whether that'll happen or not i guess we'll see but yeah yeah we'll see he played a big part in making that the case i I think We've talked about Elder Scrolls games and how pivotal he was to that. And I, I think that's his bread and butter because he went on to go do all kinds of things. Neverwinter Nights, Icewind Dale, Guild Wars. So, you okay. know, he's just like got this really good medieval Europe fantasy sound that comes through in everything he does. And I think that was perfect for Knights of the Old Republic because I know a lot of people, you know, the, it's a little bit more now where people are like Star Wars isn't sci-fi. It's space fantasy. 
so yeah and then he even went into like do some things like world of warcraft and anything where you kind of want to just do like western fantasy he's your guy well very cool yeah no i i wasn't aware that he had such a extensive uh catalog beyond skyrim i i can attest that uh just the ambient uh music traveling around Skyrim. I mean, my one of my teachers used to just play that uh, during class. It was, uh, I think, a 45-minute track. It's just called, like, Ambience in Skyrim or something like that. Um, and, I mean, that was just a really soothing, uh, like you said, sort of stock, but also, you know, it, it felt good. It made you, it transported you to that world. You really felt like you were there in part because of that music. And uh, knowing that he has such a hand in so many other fantasy worlds uh is really enticing i you know i gotta i gotta check out knights of the old republic at some point if only because uh it would be plaid man approved hey and those are hard to come by plaid approval is is pretty rare to be honest and even if you don't play the games give the soundtracks a listen because they are pretty good in and of themselves i don't know what it is about the way he does it but like i said he he loves he loves horns he loves brass he loves a good beat and so I think that it's it's such a difference you can tell. And I think there is something about that. I think a lot of Japanese uh, composers that we've talked about, such a unique style that I love, but the bread and butter for me of like a, a Western fantasy that is like maybe not based in the USA, but made for a, a Western audience. I think he, he does such a good job of that. And, uh, you know, he, he's not just that if you want to be a little bit of crossover. Now, he didn't compose the whole game but he has provided a bunch of compositions for a little game called Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I haven't gotten there yet, but I, I that's <laughs> next up on the list. Uh, in honor of Doobie Team. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised uh, Harry Gregson uh, uh, something or another isn't... isn't uh... Harry Gregson Williams. Harry Gregson Williams. I'm surprised he's not uh, hasn't made an appearance on this list yet. But I, I tend to think of him more as a movie composer than a game composer. So maybe it remains to be seen. I don't want to jump the gun. So and yeah, and who knows? And I, and I say this too because I'll give you a little bit of insight into what I'm thinking. I think the reason that I put Jeremy Sewell so high up is just because the breadth of his work is is just so large and also influential. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people like that, like. Uh, well, I won't start naming names in case they come up later, but a lot of these other ones that I want to put up higher, I'm like, yes, they had some amazing stuff they did, but it's kind of confined to one or two games. And it's like, as much as I love those, I think that, you know, like Nobuo Uematsu just has decades of, of incredible work, stellar work, and Yoko Shimomura, just like such a big depth of work. And Jeremy Sewell, much the same, you know, even back from games like Secret of Evermore, that had incredible music as well back in that age to now, you know, up to now. I mean, I think even though Skyrim is 10 years old, uh, Elder Scrolls Online is kind of old. He did a lot of music for those, and I think those are still pretty relevant. Absolutely, yeah. Likewise for me, Kenji Yamamoto, he, he's tended to stick to one series, but, you know, from what he's flown around and done outside of that, he does have his own style, and he does have his own feel that he brings to the games that he does. And I feel like going forward, we're going to have a little less of that and maybe more of like, oh, hey, this one game soundtrack, <laughs> yeah. absolute banger, firing all 10 cylinders. No clue what they did aside from that. But hey, it's probably good as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so we'll get there next time. Maybe I'll finally leave the Nintendo's listing of composers and maybe Ratnado <laughs> will uh, stay out of Japan. But that remains to be seen. Probably isn't going to happen. Uh, I'm not even sure we are self-noticed yet. But uh, I know. <laughs> Uh, I, don't know. I, 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 might, I might have a good guess, too. <laughs> oh, man. 
Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks for talking about this with me, Squad. Um, I, I think this is for me is really a big change to to not. And I want to keep going with. There's some j other Japanese composers. I'm like, yeah, this is probably good. But uh, hey, what are you gonna do? Sometimes what you got. What you gotta do? We're, we're just two guys with opinions, everyone. None of this is objective. Um, um, now, now Ratnado, I, I should ask before we wrap things up, are we going to have another Spotify playlist? Yes, there will be another Spotify playlist. But yeah, I'm, I'll put it up on Spotify. Are you going to make one spot? I, I think I will this time. I didn't last time for Koji Kondo, just because, I mean, especially with Nintendo stuff, they don't tend to like putting their stuff on there. So I was like, I mean, I'm just going to be putting covers up anyway. That's yeah. kind of what I had to do for David Wise. But I think, hey, there's a lot of good Metroid cover artists, and I think a lot of them maintain the feel and the atmosphere of the original track. So I'll have one up as well, and maybe there'll even be a couple other uh, inclusions uh, from Kenji Yamamoto. So thank you all for listening. Uh, I think we're going to be wrapping things up now. Next week, we have a very special occasion with a very special guest, but that will remain to be seen, and you might be able to guess based on the day it releases. But we're going to let you know then and there what's going on. Who could it be? Who may be in the pipeline? I'll tell you who is definitely going to be there. Squat Cobbler of the Scrollies Podcast, coming at you with my co-host. Yo, it's Team Ratnado, and I am streaming again. Come hang out with me. We're doing Strunch every weekday, one hour, sometimes two, if I decide to use some PTO to play Final Fantasy XIV Main Scenario Quest. So come check us out. Squat Cobbler, we'll see you next week, man. We will, and I should say before we go, I am also putting out YouTube videos now, uh, Mario and Rabbit's playthrough. Oh, yeah. Those are going on, so you can check that out by visiting the Squat Cobbler YouTube channel. And, uh, yeah, it'll be good to see you guys next week and uh, celebrate a very special occasion with a special guest. So we will catch you then. See ya. Bye. And so I, I think I remember the first time, and I think he is like one of the first times outside of like Tetsuya Nomura, uh, not Tetsuya Nomura, one of the first times out of Nobuo Oematsu. Nomura, Nomura, just, yes, Nomura. <laughs> one of the first times, you cut that out. I don't want, I don't want his name in this. <laughs> um, We're not going to sully scrollies again with the mention of. <laughs>